I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Uh, I said that wrong. Welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast daily from uh, Russia, uh, I'm Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and I'm in Moscow once again with uh, Mark Critchley, our Northern Football Correspondent, right next to me. Mark? Ed, how are you? You good? Uh, you, you know exactly how I am, because we've spent all day together, um, but it was a wonderful day watching uh, a lot of football, and most notably, Spain-Portugal. There were, there were three games today, as I'm sure most of you would be aware, but uh, we have to start at the end, just because... Ronaldo, just because Spain Portugal, just because that was one of the best group games I've ever seen at a World Cup. Yes, I, well, I'd agree with all of that, um, and we just have to talk about Ronaldo, don't we? Um, it's a stunning individual performance, a different individual performance from what we've seen from him, uh, what we've grown used to seeing from him recently. Uh, I thought he looked as sharp as. I've ever really seen him uh, in the first, especially in the first half, uh, the the turn of pace to get to win the penalty uh, with Nacho. Um, he benefits from the the Haya area on the second goal, but then the third is one that we're going to be talking about for years. Uh, I, I I was sat here with you, wasn't I? And it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's, no, not it's not the call of the century. Let's be honest. But um, we were watching it, and I just thought that I said to you, he's going to score here, like because he I mean, he goes through this process, and you see it. He. He kind of stands, we all know it, how he, his stance over a free kick and everything, but it's all the little minutiae where he like, the deep breaths he takes, the way you, you can almost see him visualising. He visualises, yeah, yeah. It's and cool. then curls, like, and, and, and the way it's whipped around Bush gets his head and into the, into the top, uh, top right-hand corner. Um, I mean, it's just a sensational goal and one we're always going to remember. I can't remember him seeing him work that hard in a game for so long. So many of his Madrid performances, he just basically just hangs out you know, um, I think I've told the story before. I remember some pointless game against Betis where um, Real Madrid were winning like 3 4 now and Bale and Benzema had scored the goals. And it was the 94th minute. And Ronaldo chased down the fullback and put in a sliding tackle because he hadn't scored. Like, you know, it's like, it's literally like so often it seems that his only motivation is himself. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I guess in a way, glory. It is glory for the team eventually, but it is it's, you know, mainly about himself. But watching him play today, that that's like a different guy. You know, he just seems like he's fully like charged. I guess we did. Uh, I talked to Miguel via text earlier on. He was at the game, and and we should actually ring him in a second because it, it's going to be getting late in Sochi. But he uh, was saying that. This is the first tournament Ronaldo's come into without any fitness concerns for a long time, and I think that's important. Um, so, well, let's get Miguel on the phone and um, see what he thinks because uh, he gets awfully excited when he goes to big games like this, and, and especially when it's a good one. So uh, he gets a little newsgasm, and uh, yeah, oh, what, what have I dropped? That's just a little bottle. It's fine, and uh, yeah. So I'll dial up Miguel, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. 
Miguelito, my little Spanish chum, um, <laughs> quite the game. I know it's hard, but take a second uh, and try and break down a little of, of what you've just seen there. Well, um, <laughs> I'm almost breathless after that. Uh, I'm just sitting here in my seat in the Sochi Stadium, where it's actually started raining, um, having done my, my rewrite on my match report, attempting to take in everything that we just saw. I mean, it's genuinely one of the one of the best games I've been to in a long, long time. Um, I mean, not just for the the events and the kind of richness and quality. Like we're talking properly high end football. They, you know, was supposed to almost be beyond international football. But oh, this this was this was really top Champions League level but also kind of the, the sub the, we're so rich in subplots I mean if, look at everything beyond I mean before the game because of what happened with Hulan Lepetegui and I have to say I think Spain looked really cohesive despite that they looked like it didn't really affect them maybe bar the first 20 minutes until the cost of goal but you know because of that we were barely talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and then by the end you can't but talk about him <laughs> one of the great World Cup performances, maybe probably his best World Cup performance by far, I'd say, from one of the great players. Uh, then beyond that, you've got, you know, how, how Spain reacted. Real Madrid's further role in this, given <laughs> it was you know, a Real Madrid player that robbed them of two points, having robbed them, having taken their manager. Uh, there was Nacho, a Real Madrid player who failed Ronaldo for the first penalty that gave Spain so much to overcome. The, um, and then his probably the, I actually thought it was a goal of the game even as, as good as Ronaldo's free kick was and actually one thing about Ronaldo's free it's rare you see him curl like that anymore he doesn't really hit them but you know what a way to step up for it and uh, then there was De Gea's blunder there was the effect of Costa there was the way Spain really turned it on after that second goal uh, like they showed resilience and then put on a proper exhibition of football only it still wasn't enough because of Ronaldo oh, just, just so much in it um, you know, this World Cup has really set off and I think the, both these teams despite, the, despite showing some flaws Spain with a kind of a vulnerability to pace, although I, th I think they did fix that actually in the second half. And Ronaldo, who looked like that, or sorry, Portugal, the fact I referred to them as Ronaldo says it all. But that defence doesn't look as durable as it has been in, in recent seasons or recent tournaments. And, and Pepe and Fonte are maybe showing their age. That, that could be a problem for them. But, you know, it's almost one of those games where you don't want to talk about the flaws, even though those flaws made it so good uh, because it was just so much to enjoy. You're a bit of a uh, historian, kind of, I mean, especially Champions League, but. World Cup as well and we were watching that game uh, me and Critch and we were trying to work out where it would rank you know all time great group games I was thinking like Germany Costa Rica is one that struck in my mind uh, Torsten Frings banging it in um, you've got a longer memory than me mainly because you're older uh, but where would you put it can you can you think of one that was even better than that uh, in terms of great group games <laughs> I think you almost have to go back to uh USA 94, maybe France 98, probably USA 94 was like the properly epic group games where it felt like there was so much more, where it felt like almost like the epic nature of a knockout game that early in the tournament. Um, like it, 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 it was up there, say, with some of the, some of the, the great matches Romania were involved in 94, uh, the Dutch 98. Uh, really, really top stuff. I, I, I'm actually struggling to think of a, of a group game that compares to that. Just for the epic, it, it had everything. It, it literally had everything, bar a winner. But it was almost all the greater for that because I think it would have been very harsh on, on either team to lose. It felt like a fair result. Right, and it, as great a game as it was, how great of a performance was that from Cristiano Ronaldo? Because uh, you and and I, to be fair, but you, you have been critical of him at times this season. Yeah, Ronaldo. I mean, well, we've I suppose I've already touched on how great his performance was to a certain extent. But actually, what 
almost stood out about it as much as anything, um, despite how distinctive that free kick was. I mean, if you actually look at it, his goals were slightly freakish. Oh, I'm not going to say gimmies, obviously. I mean, the, 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 the third one certainly wasn't a gimme. The first was a penalty that took balls and pressure that we've seen him do before. And the second was still a hard-struck shot, even though it was a goalkeeping error. But even beyond that, it was actually... I haven't seen him as rampaging as that outside the box in a long time. Because uh, over the last few years, I suppose, the, the fair commentary about Ronaldo is that he's kind of, because of maybe waning physical power, he's restricted his game to the box. Not here. He was he, he really gave Spain problems with his pace outside the box. And I think what's really encouraging about it, if you actually look at it, Ronaldo's had fitness problems going into pretty much all of his tournaments since 2010. And that in itself makes his achievement of... Um, scoring in eight consecutive tournaments all the better but but yes from, from 2012 on he, he had fitness problems going into every single tournament not on this one and we really saw the benefit tonight and saw and saw ronaldo we haven't seen for some time for him i mean for all the figures that came out tonight you know he, he matched juve sealer pele and closer by scoring uh, in four consecutive world cups to one about eight consecutive tournaments um the, you know his, his, his goal record for portugal um this, this, the most remarkable figures for his age, 33, that he was still able to do to look like that at that age is astonishing. And finally, I guess we, we need to work out how Group B is going to shake out now um, with the Iran result as well. So, how do you see it all going? Uh, I have to say, in terms of how the group will, will play out, when, it, when Spain went 2 1 down for the second, second time going behind in the game, I was actually a little bit fearful for them because. You don't want to have to be, play a, be playing a Carlos Queiroz Iran, who are really, really durable in defence, needing a win. That is the sort of game that could really frustrate them. Uh, I think they will gain a bit of momentum from their performance, if not the result. I think they looked really good at times. Um, and Costa gave them something different when their normal play wasn't working. Uh, so I think they'll kind of narrowly beat Iran, but it, it'll narrowly beat Iran in terms of score, but I think they'll be a fairly commanding performance. Portugal would beat Morocco because Morocco would be too open for them. And this could come down to goal difference. Although, the weird, the weird thing about this group is it's actually hard to say who is better for to finish first or second. Um, and I don't think I'm getting presumption because I, I think both will get through. And I think both look like they'll go very far after that performance. But if everything pans out as we expected, it means the winner of the group will get France in the quarterfinal and second place will get Argentina. And as of now, I think you'd much rather be playing Argentina. So that in itself offers yet another compelling subplot to this. That it does. Uh, thank you, Miguel. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And I, I think you're. I think he's travelling tomorrow. Um, but yeah, incredible stuff from Sochi. You can tell how excited he was. Um, we've not really talked about David de Gea, who I mean, you you watch Man United week in week out, um, and he is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He is the best. Basically, you think he's the best? I mean, like he's incredibly reliable, and then. To make such a big mistake in, like you know, the thing is, it is it's a massive moment because it's a huge game uh, in terms of it is the World Cup, the big stage, the opening game, everything Spain have been through. It's against Portugal, who are like their big rivals um, in you know geographical sense and stuff, but also just in this group, you know, it, it is important to finish top because it can really affect how, how the whole tournament shakes out. But so uncharacteristic, and and what do you make of that? Um, I thought it's a strange one. Um, it, probably his poorest individual performance uh, in a long time. Although saying that, he did um, 
make a bit of a clangor for Spain against Switzerland at the start of the month in one of these pre-tournament World Cup friendlies. Um, and that's when everyone says, oh, he's getting it out of the way. <laughs> that's true. He hasn't quite got it out of the system just yet. <laughs> Maybe it's like, it's like one of those, he got most of it out, but not, not yeah, quite all of it. There's just a little bit left, and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo benefited from it. I don't know, like, uh, I suppose because of those two mistakes have come so close back-to-back and for Spain... And it's so radically different from what we've seen at United, especially this season, but obviously for a number of seasons now. Um, because of that, people will think, is there a certain problem with maybe his head when he's playing international football? Or you know, So you're saying, they should, you're saying they should drop him, aren't you? Um, I don't think anybody's saying they should <laughs> drop him. I mean, come on. Who's, who, who they got? who's the backup? I know Pepe Reina's there because he's always there as the mascot. Uh, it's Kepa, I think. Right, okay. uh, who Real Madrid nearly signed. Um, but they backed out at the last minute because basically Zidane Lop, um, Florentino Perez has, has been insistent on the phrases that they need a new goalkeeper um, I'll tell you off air why I think that is okay. uh, but yeah but Zidane is, is always uh, Spanish have got a much better one word for respaldar which is like um, to, to, to back up like to, to have his back I guess to have his back like, but in one word He's always had Kador Navas' back and he was the one who put his foot down and said, no, no, like, Kador's fine. In fact, he's really good. Right. Um, so they, they kind of cancelled the deal for Kepa at the last minute. It was completely done. He signed a new contract with Athletic Bilbao, so he's still there. And uh, I think, yeah, he's the second choice. He's, I mean, he's a good keeper. I'm, I'm not actually seriously um, promoting... I don't think anybody seriously... So, no, please, yeah. please don't tweet me. I just don't care enough. Um, but it's just, it's just out of character. Um, and... It is, you know, it is funny. Maybe he just feels more secure playing behind Phil Jones and Marcus Rocco than he does PK and Ramos. You know, that, that's just how these strange situation to be in. But I think, like we we say, it's it's um, out of character. But I mean, it's not like he hasn't had a history where he's made mistakes in the past. It hasn't like he's had to these obstacles that he's had to come over before. Um, so I don't think it's an issue where and it sounds almost daft to say this and sound like we're doubting him but I don't think it's an issue where this mistake's going to affect him and it's going to you're going to see a string of performances like this down in the rest of the tournament um, it's just one of those nights for David De Gea and he can be thankful that there's so few of them he can be and so can Manchester United who are about to sign him to uh, an extended contract as uh, Miguel you know even when he's thousands of miles away, still breaking yeah. uh, Manchester United exclusives. Um, I think we should probably mention Diego Costa. I thought had a great game. Um, you know, we were talking about him on the pod. I- I'm now doubting if we actually talked about this on the podcast or if this was a- just another conversation we had because you didn't seem to remember the conversation. Go on. But we were, oh, yeah. we were talking about Diego Costa. And You're going to tell me for a second time now. Yes. Yeah. And Diego Costa, basically, you know, Spain have had a bit of a problem despite having this unbelievable team that dominates games and stuff. They've had a bit of a problem finding a number nine for the last four years, basically. They they thought they'd stumbled across him when Diego Costa was incredible in, in 2013-14 and then uh, they national, naturalised him, national, nationalised him, made him Spanish. He went over to Brazil, uh, but he wasn't fit and that team obviously had a complete disaster. Uh, then in the qualifying for Euro 2016, Paco Alcacer, who was really informed for Valencia at the time, had an extended run on the team, was top scorer in qualifying, and, and he fitted a little better. Now, he's nowhere near as good as Diego Costa. You'd always rather have Diego Costa in your team than, than Paco, and especially because Paco's now gone to Barcelona and it, it hasn't really worked out for him. But Paco Alcácer is, is a twitchy, dinky little sort of striker, kind of like a 
more in the mould of uh, I can't even think of like like Franny Jeffers or the, the, like I mean that's a really bad example. <laughs> he's he's just a small guy who uh, explosive over that first half yard. He's just going to find little tiny crannies and, and spaces in the box, which is where you what you need to do if you're playing for Spain because they have a lot of the ball. The team they're playing against usually masses behind the ball. Lots of players in the box defending, and you just need a little half yard on your defender take a touch and shoot that's what you need to do Diego Costa it, you know he's more like a sledgehammer so you know sometimes the ball's going to bounce off so that's quite literally like yeah. you know, when his forehouse smashes into your face well like precisely um, yeah I mean it was an unscheduled meeting uh, between his forearm and uh, Pepe's face and that you know uh, in the first goal okay so you could potentially pull, you call the foul there mm-hmm. for, the, for the, the forearm smash on Pepe which it wasn't quite a forearm smash but there was some obviously contact he's still surrounded by two or three defenders on his own and this is my point is, is Spain did I think Spain were the better side I think is that fair to say Spain were they had, they, they had more of the ball and Portugal had talked about trying to limit Spain's dominance and I thought they still had a lot of the ball and did quite well with it but they didn't create any kind of very classic Spain chances which are close quarters pullbacks from the, the byline sort of Man City sort of chances mm-hmm. you know and the goals they, they scored and the chances they created, well, the two of the three goals were Diego Costa doing things that were very un-Spain. And, and that's what he is. He's a very un-Spain player in a very Spain team. You know, they can pass it around for days and days and days. But today they relied on a long ball to Diego Costa, which he chased down, smashed Pepe out of the way, held up three defenders, got a little bit of space and rocketed it in the bottom corner. The second goal is like a, just a rugged play from a set piece, basically, isn't it? Um, Busquets, I think it was, headed back across, mm. and he finishes. And then the third is just Nacho, who... That's not aesthetically pleasing goal of the night, even though Ronaldo's was so good. It's probably... Ronaldo's free kick is probably the best. But any goal that bounces in off two posts is just... Nacho is was probably is probably the least talented player on the pitch. Um Diabetic but as well, isn't he? He is diabetic, correct. Um, but he has scored. He scored a stunner in the Champions League for uh, Real Madrid a couple of years ago against PSG, uh, which started that game. It was a left-footed volley from the most acute angle you could ever dream of, and he just hit it so perfectly, and it just rocketed in, um, and they won that game one 0 So beautiful for Nacho. Um, but the point was that Costa might be the answer for Spain not because he fits but because he doesn't fit mm. um, and that last five minutes of chat you can basically read that in like a 1200 word piece if you go to the website um, and you prefer stuff in written form so anything else we need to talk about before Spain uh, and Spain Portugal before we head to the games earlier on I think I will just say one thing like we, we before the tournament we looked at this game and we said this is the game of the group stage because mm-hmm. Uh, the draw for the group stage has been it's, it's kind of te- kept sorry the big teams apart hasn't it which is good um, which is good uh, it did mean that we risked not having quite a spectacular group stage as we had in 2014 but I think tonight the pace of that game it looked like a, we were saying it looked like a Champions League quarter final or something didn't it I think that can give us a bit of hope that um, the latter stages of this tournament will be you know, extremely high quality, especially if the teams with the quality steep, uh, steeped in them progress into the next round. Yeah, the very simple and basic 
um, the conclusions that come from this game, and you could come to it within probably about three minutes of it starting, was um, basically that the, the the real quality has, has begun. And, and good teams are good. The good teams are good, and and it was the speed and the cohesion with which they played um, that really stood out. I thought, you know, the, the the pinging the ball around, and it's when we, you know, we were talking about about Saudi Arabia, and it's like you could see simple, obvious passes to make good chances, and and they couldn't make them, and essentially, uh, Spain and Portugal were making them for fun, and they the, the pinging the ball around. It did look like a quarter final because it, I was looking at the. A likely quarterfinal situation has Spain versus France, Brazil versus Belgium, Portugal versus Argentina, and Germany versus England. That's roughly going with seedings and, and the FIFA rankings. So that is pretty much what the quarterfinals would look like. What you've just had is, is a quarterfinal, but with less on the line, really. Like, you know, it hasn't got the knockout aspect to it. So there's a little bit more freedom, and that's why we've got such a wild game and a brilliant one, really. Um, at that point, I guess we should probably move on. Yes. Um, so where do you want to go? Do you want to go to the start of the day? Where we had... Oh, Christ, what was that? Egypt versus... Egypt versus Uruguay. Well, um, Egypt-Uruguay was uh, an interesting game because we expected a lot more from Uruguay. They, they had probably... You know, we were talking yesterday about this new young creative midfield they had. And then they proceeded to... It was almost like they were... I felt they were so concerned about Egypt playing defensively and putting lots of bodies behind the ball that they were determined that when they got the ball, they were going to get it forward as fast as possible. The problem with that being that it bypassed their midfield, which is good and creative and talented. So they looked rubbish. The midfield looked terrible because they, they couldn't do anything all game. So they're, they're boshing the ball up to Suarez and Cavani. And Cavani had a good game. And Luis Suarez had an utterly dreadful game. Uh, yeah, you called him, what's his nickname, El Pistolero? Yeah. Um, kind of hesitated to pull the trigger this time, didn't he? I think it was um, strange. I, I thought you were going to go down the easy route of go El on. Pistolero to El Pistolero or something, I don't know. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, no, you're right, yeah. that's the one I should have chosen. <laughs> that's, right. that's the route course, you should have gone. Take, always take the low road. Okay, um, I'm from the master now. But, but um, no, I think, like we said yesterday that this, this is a different Luis Suarez now and it's one that uh, the past season at Barcelona... Uh, the past maybe two years at Barcelona, it hasn't. It, if you're watching regularly, he's not the player you remember at Liverpool. Um, but he's still like in club football, he's still returning a lot of numbers. It might have something to do with playing alongside Lionel Messi when he was in this Uruguay team, like you say, that was quite intent on playing direct, plays in a four-four-two. Um, he didn't. He didn't have that same kind of zip and and buzz that we know about. Uh, we've known him to have in the past. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was I was quite underwhelmed with Uruguay and Egypt to be honest, and my uh, confident prediction yesterday that they would be the two to qualify from this group ahead of Russia. Um, I might have to revise that now. I thought the thing with Uruguay though is they've got Tabarez, who's a very good coach. He's quite conservative, but he's good, um, and he makes sure they don't concede goals and. In Diego Godin and Jose Maria Jimenez, who are, of course, a partnership at club level as well, they could have the best centre-back partnership in the tournament, which, which goes a long way, because if you, if you don't concede goals, then all you need is, for example, a last-minute header from a set-piece to win the game, which is what they got. 
Um, Jimenez scoring that, and, and that's a great reward for him. Got a new contract with Atletico early this week, uh, which is great news for Atletico, and because he's a very talented young defender, and they could have lost him actually fairly cheaply going by market value. He had a 60 million release clause, which Manchester United were, were considering. So Godin, I thought, was brilliant. and uh, I mean, that guy is and has been one of, if not the best centre-back in the world uh, for the last four or five years. Uh, so with those two there, and, and Varela uh, played OK. His, his final ball was poor, but defensively, they looked good. But they, they kind of were helped to look good by the fact that Egypt didn't pose much of a threat. And Hector Cooper yesterday said, Mo Salah will 100% play. Maybe he's not so hot on maths because um, Mo Salah did not play. So, do we blame him for telling a lie? Really? I mean, considering like the competitive advantage, like it's actually quite a good idea. Um, it's a, it's a very Fergie sort of move, isn't it? Do we uh, think he changed his mind because the game was going well? Do you think if they were one 0 down after sixty, then he brings on Salah? Uh, perhaps. Um, I don't think I blame him for telling a lie, although, you know, we don't get our feelings hurt when managers lie to us, we just kind of expect it sometimes. Um, Tavares has basically taken a look at the group and he said, we have our first, the toughest game of the group is first up against Uruguay. We've got Russia and Saudi Arabia's club, maybe looking at that opening fixture yesterday, he thought he could maybe keep Salah on the bench, protect that shoulder, and then use him in two games where... Egypt, even despite their the kind of defensiveness that we saw from them today, they could rack up a big score, especially against Saudi Arabia. So, but that perhaps that was his thinking. Um, I do feel sorry for Salah because it's his birthday, no less. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so uh, double shame for him. I'm sure he's brewing Sergio Ramos again tonight. Um, but it, it really does look like Egypt need him in the team because they're otherwise toothless. They were absolutely clueless in in attacking areas, if we're honest. Um, but Uruguay do they don't take control of Group A because um, the marauding Russians uh, do you see the picture of the, the bear with the Vuvuzela yeah the doing, video doing quite a strange salute afterwards as well so. <laughs> there's nothing quite like an instrument playing bear making fascist salutes uh, <laughs> to really make you realise uh, you're somewhere weird um, actually there is go on because we should mention this water. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Um, this is going to be a slight diversion before we talk about Iran Morocco. So if you are, well, we've got wait- Jack waiting, so like we can keep him waiting a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, Jack can wait. Um, uh, yes, uh, this is just you know cultural corner. Just a little peek behind the curtain. Another peek behind the curtain, by the way. Um, I, I'm I'm trying to slightly eat a Snickers caramel ice cream uh, while we're on air. So if you hear me go silent or kind of just chewing for a while. Uh, that's why but I made a grave error earlier on uh, we were at the, the local supermarket and um, we've had a, a couple of supermarket difficulties since we've been here because neither of us speak Russian uh, and I bought what I thought was an enticing looking litre and a half bottle of sparkling water and it turned out to be <laughs> I literally took one mouthful of it and I, I just don't even know how to describe it, it it was like um, something had drained out of a corpse uh, and uh, uh, very confusing. I, I passed it over to you, Critch, and your verdict was that it was like seawater. Well, that, yes, that's actually kind of what it is. It's like salty so, so alkaline water that is supposed to have a medicinal quality. Um, 
improves your liver, uh, your bladder, um, you know, any kind of ailment that you might you might be suffering from. Is and to be honest, after you've been drinking it for four hours, it actually goes down quite a treat. And <laughs> um, certainly more of a treat than most of Morocco versus Iran. Which, yeah, uh, Jack Pickbrook was it, it it turned out it turned out awfully, um, but we did find via Reddit, um, which I believe is is something that people use on the internet these days. Um, I I think I googled weird Russian mineral, uh, weird sparkling Russian water, and it turned out that this is from the Yesentuki Mineral Springs, um, and about twenty of those springs are like they there's water of medical value that comes out. Uh, fizzy and but also like salt alkaline and there are different numbers which are kind of uh, like different uh, like different uh, compositions of minerals and stuff I guess yeah. and this is what number 17 or something yeah either way never buy it it tastes like this is a simple message yeah no this, yeah sorry yeah I don't want to go on about it it tastes like absolutely horrific um, and speaking of things that are absolutely horrific as you said uh, Iran Morocco, which was so bad uh, that I fell asleep in uh, the second half. Um, but to be fair, I didn't get much sleep last night because um, I was editing a podcast and stuff. So um, we should ring Jack, uh, which will take about two seconds. So uh, I'll be back in a moment. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Jack Pitbrook. Where are you and what have you been doing today? Hi, Ed. I'm here at the St. Petersburg Stadium where it's about two hours after the final whistle of Morocco nil Iran 1, which was my first game in the World Cup and a result that I didn't expect at all. Well, I distinctly remember you telling us yesterday how brilliant Morocco were going to be and then they, um, well, they laid an egg, basically. Uh, so, like, what the hell happened? I think, like everyone, I had very high hopes for this Morocco team. Um, they've got some incredibly good players. They've got a very good manager, Hervé Renard, and they play some fantastic football. And for the first 25 minutes, they were sensational. Like, they pushed the fullbacks really high up. They interchanged positions in midfield. They didn't look like a team that you normally see in, in an international competition. They were playing a kind of inventive, imaginative, stylish brand of football that you kind of associate more with a club game. And I think, like a lot of people, when I saw that, I thought, well, this is brilliant, and I hope that they are rewarded for this by winning the game and you know you, you kind of get carried away in your head and you start thinking well if they win this and they maybe get a draw in the next game and then you know if Spain and Portugal draw with each other then maybe maybe they can scrape through but you know unfortunately nice things don't always last and they they didn't score any of their chances and they collapsed in the second half right well a little peek behind the curtain here I actually fell asleep at half time so tell me what happened in the second half, but most importantly, why and how Iran, who, let's be honest, were surprise winners here, 
uh, managed to come away with three points and now top Group B. Then the longer it went on without Morocco scoring, the more nervous they got and the more confident Iran got. Like it, Iran were playing they deep, compact, 4-4-2. They worked very hard. They'd clearly been... I mean, I remember how well they were schooled by Carlos Quieros in the 2014 World Cup. And here, you know, after four years of coaching, they were even more like that today. You know, it, 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 again, it shows what, a, uh, what an international team can do with years of work from a top coach, even if the players are limited. Um, and I mean, it was a surprise when they scored at the end, you know, it, because it was a kind of slightly fluky own goal, like a header from a free kick. But I think on the balance in the second half, I didn't think it was a complete misjustice. Like, I, th- I think that Iran were gradually getting closer through the game. Um, although, and the, at the end, when they won, the Iran players went crazy. I mean, this was their second World Cup win in their history. And they were kind of jumping around the pitch and the bench completely emptied out onto the pitch. And, uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing re- result for them, not in part because it looked so unlikely in the first half an hour. So, all in all, what are you going to take away from Iran 1, Rocco nil, your first ever World Cup game? The really interesting thing about this game is it kind of shows why international football is how it is. Like we, kind of, we know now that international football doesn't reward attacking coaches, it does reward defensive coaches and people who put their emphasis on solid organisation and discipline rather than the creativity which takes time to coach. Now here we had, you know, Portugal playing in a conventional way, Morocco playing in an unconventional way, and Morocco couldn't do it. Like they couldn't they couldn't pull off the difficult trick they were trying to do. Like it was a bit like watching someone on a trapeze artist uh, in the first half, but it didn't work out for them. And it was the conven- the kind of conventional wisdom approach of Kiroz which won out. And I think if you were a coach watching this thinking, how am I going to set my team up for the World Cup? Then you think, actually, you know, I think I will go for the, the Iceland option, the Portugal option, the Greece option, uh, the Iran option, rather than trying something difficult and ambitious, which is probably just going to be too hard to pull off. Jack, you're marvellous. Uh, we'll check in again with you tomorrow when I guess you're going to be back on England duty because um, it's nearly time for the big one, Critch. Um, England, Tunisia. But I guess, well, first we've got uh, the, the... Super Saturday. Super Saturday, yeah. So um, we'll give a little bit of pop to the, to the eight teams that are making their debut tomorrow. First up in Kazan, uh, in Tartistan, France versus Australia. That's the first game in Group C. Uh, some absolutely belting Australia content uh, on the website today. One uh, is a huge investigation piece from uh, Tim Wigmore, who went down there and talked to loads of people who are trying to make Austra- uh, soccer the biggest sport in Australia. Um, you know, little little helping hand for you guys. Don't call it soccer. Um, second is a Massimo Luongo interview, uh, the QPR midfielder, talking about how the Socceroos are out to try and uh, improve or regain the great name of Australia after Sandpaper Gate, uh, which disgraced the nation. Uh, it shouldn't have done, but they allowed it to disgrace their nation. Um, and also uh, a piece uh, by Miguel on um, Daniel Aznari, I think his name is, the youngest player at the World Cup, who's a 19-year-old, uh, who scored on his World Cup debut the other week, uh, even if it was a terrible, terrible goalkeeping error. So go and read those if you want to read about the Socceroos. France, we, we have discussed recently, um, intrigued to see if Didi Deschamps can actually pull it together for once. Yeah, I think um, most of us have looked at France's squad. A lot of people have looked at it and said, 
well, how you know they must, they've got to progress far in this tournament. But, I think it's the best. I think it might be the best twenty three. Yeah, the best twenty three. But I mean, I think I think in fact you wrote a piece when the England squad was announced, which was uh, very cleverly headlined that said that why only perhaps like thirteen or fourteen players in the England squad actually matter out the twenty three, and that's because, like at any World Cup with any team, it's about the players that play, and it's it's all well and good having strength and depth all the way down to twenty three. But like if those players are going to sit on the bench. And I think that's that's the issue with France, really. It's yes, the squad's very talented, but we're not too sure about the manager and his conservative tactics. And tomorrow will be a first glimpse of you know in a game they're expected to win, uh, just how they're going to approach this World Cup. As ever, with, with almost any team Paul Pogba plays in, the question will be how on earth they get the best out of Paul Pogba because nobody can seem to do that. Um, I'm just trying to find the, that exact stat you're talking about because. It's the sort of thing you can kind of quote to people uh, at work and sound really smart. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, um, basically, That's what I was trying to do there. Yeah, no, what, what, I, had, what I had was an, I had an inkling, uh, essentially, that uh, it, it didn't matter about the quality of the 23, that you didn't need so many players in the squad that were good. And, and the thing was, France and Spain and, and Germany, they got like loads of them. They got absolutely loads of them. Who are really good, and and it's almost like an excess of, of talent. You got twenty three eight out of ten players, and you might be better off having thirteen or fourteen nine out of ten players. Mm-hmm. Um, the average amount of players used. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to find the exact parameters. Okay, so this is uh, from 1998 onwards, uh, because that's the format, the thirty two team format, and uh, it's modern football. The average number of players per squad who play over 120 minutes. We we chose 120 minutes because it's kind of a game and a substitute appearance. Um, the average number is 12.5, 12.3 for 2002, 12.9, 12.3, and then at the last World Cup, 12.6. So really, you only need 13 or 14 really good players. Um, and France have got three, 13 or 14 very good players. We should add, and you know, there's no there's no barrier to their to their success but uh, and it's uh, it's better that they have that the others in reserve but like I said it's more of a question of their coach and just how he utilises these players we're still not kind of sure what midfield he's going to put together and that would be one of the interesting points from tomorrow and, and whether Paul Pogba fits into it and how he fits into it yeah I, I'd, I'd hope to see Corentin Tolisso ahead of Matuidi just because I think uh, France have got plenty of energy already what they need is craft um but that's France Australia. That's first up. Then second is the game that you and I will be at, uh, and it's an absolute belter: Argentina versus Iceland. It is, um, you know, in your preview uh, of this game, which is very good, and and everyone knows they can already read that on the website. What it is is it's a game that many will will posit as the in, the ultimate individual against the ultimate collective, because you know Iceland are a team who have so brilliantly been kind of forged out of, of rock and fire to be this and ice th- yes and ice of course sorry the, the obvious one there the, to be this impenetrable unit um, of 11 and whatever 800,000 people live there um, and then there's Messi who dragged Argentina through the last World Cup and is probably going to have to drag them through this one looking at the state of their defence but I thought you know what, what you've written is basically that Jorge Sampaoli his entire career has been creating a system in which fairly average players can become greater than the sum of their parts. If you look at the Universidad de Chile side, he had 
none of those players have really gone on to be great. Lots of them got good moves off the back of that success because they played well in his team. Like Eduardo Vargas ended up at Napoli, then at QPR, and then disappeared off the face of the planet. You know, and all those players that kind of went on to good things disappeared. And then his Chile team, you had Gonzalo Jara, who was, you know, at West Brom, and then Nottingham Forest was winning World Cup games against Spain. These things don't make sense. It's because he's a good coach, and it's because he's a good coach because he made more out of average players than they actually were. So the interesting thing here is if Sam Pauli can harness what he's always been good at and make all of these average players better than they are, but without compromising on the one thing that probably is their best chance of success, which is really making Messi shine. Yes, you've summed the piece up brilliantly there. <laughs> um, yes, uh, really making Messi shine, exactly. Um, the question is whether... Messi, we've seen over the last few months people like Paolo Dybala talk about how they struggle to play with Messi. There's this kind of idea that perhaps when he's in the team, people are looking to pass to him and looking for him to do stuff and they don't want to tread on his toes. And like you say, Sao Paulo's, Paulo's career has all been about a team ethic and a system and overloads and, you know, not basically focused around the individual, but around the collective. Um, and he's got to try and harness that. Um, I, I, tomorrow, he, today, basically, in his press conference, he just came out with a team that he's going to play. And we don't quite know how that's going to look on paper. Uh, or Well, we know how it's going to look on paper. We don't know how it's going to look on the football pitch just yet. Um, he's been talking about potentially playing some kind of madcap 2-3... Two, 3-2 three, three, formation, maybe. He will, maybe it won't. Maybe it'll look slightly different. Um the real important thing will be that it comes together and that Argentina plays that collective that we're talking about. Um, I, I have my doubts of, as to whether that's going to happen tomorrow looking at the personnel that he selected for the game. I, I have this theory that Iceland obviously did brilliant for Euros, but Lightning doesn't necessarily strike twice. They, they, they hugely overperformed. Um, but if they can you know, make the most of set pieces and stuff, which are underrated, I think, and something that all of the international teams should absolutely do loads of work on because it's such an easy way to, to add goals to your team. Um, I think Argentina will still win. Um, I think the Messi-Aguero link, uh, people underrate it slightly, but it's almost telepathic. So looking forward to see that. And uh, as much as going to games at the World Cup is always a privilege, just seeing Messi in the flesh is is one of the great, great honours, to be honest, of, of living in this generation. I think... Um, it's becoming more and more obvious that we'll miss Ronaldo and Messi when they're gone. Um, and like, I honestly cannot believe how much I'm going to bore my grandkids with stories about those two, um, but particularly Messi. So um, that would be great to see. And then after that, it's Peru, Denmark, which is interesting. Peru back in the World Cup for 30, after 36 years. And 36 years? Yeah, it's 36 years. And, you know, they've got so many travelling fans going to Saransk, which is like the hardest city to get to. Um, a city which really, if we're honest, should not have a stadium that big and only got it because of um, extra footballing reasons. Um, and Denmark, who are an interesting side, obviously Christian Eriksen is, is the headliner there, but Kasper Dolberg is someone that is very highly rated. And if he has a big tournament, he's the sort of guy who you can see the teams coming in with the enormous bids for. Um, so, yeah, very interested to see that. It's also kind of both of those... European versus South American clashes, they're always kind of interesting, I think. Uh, and the final game is Croatia versus Nigeria in Kaliningrad. Um, Croatia, for me, 
are a side who, if they put it together, can get to the quarterfinals and beyond. They've got such a good midfield. Although Luka Modric, despite great performance in the Champions League final, did kind of dip off this year, having been arguably the best centre midfielder in the world for the last two or three seasons. And Nigeria, who are unpredictable, but have got, you know, as talented as a squad, um, as as anyone in that group, really. I mean, they've got a lot of good players. So we won't bore you with any more. Uh, I'm sure you've all got stuff to do, and, and so have I, namely editing this podcast so you can listen to it um, right now. That's time travel, I think. Uh, what we've just done is you're listening to me in the past tell you about the future. Um, but uh, that, that's enough for now, as as ever. Um, head to independent.co.uk slash football to read all the latest news and views and analysis. Um, you know, I'm sure Miguel's going to write something overnight about that absolute thunder blasted of a game in Sochi. I mean, it was just still kind of reading from that. Um, obviously, we'll have all this, the live uh, coverage for tomorrow. We'll have Argentina, Iceland, and France uh, versus Australia in particular, ones that I'm looking forward to. And Critch, have you got any parting thoughts? Uh, yeah, what a thunder bastard of a game, I agree. What a thunder bastard of a game. So I'm going to finish this Snickers ice cream, edit the podcast, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in.